Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. So today we are continuing in our study of the book of James. We just started last week in the book of James, and today we'll be just in in four verses, verses 5 through 8. But I want to tell you that even though we're only in four verses, the subject matter today, today's subject matter is significant, and it's substantive. Uh, It's what I consider to be of such importance that it's second only to the primary message of the New Testament, and that's the the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ who died for our sin. So it's second only to that. And the topic today is, is wisdom. And it's something that's so important. The lack of wisdom is not only unfortunate, but it's something that actually is it's truly devastating, not only to the individual and couples and families, but to our nation as well. Wisdom is what the ancients sought. Wisdom is what every great leader has understood to be the key to their rule. Unfortunately, it is wisdom that is found wanting today. It's all too often lacking, and this tears at the very foundations of our country and our way of life. The title of my message is Get Wisdom, and we'll be looking at just four verses today in the Epistle of James. Before I read the scriptures, however, which is verses 5 through 8, let me preface my message with a little walk down history lane. Do you like history? We're going to spend a little time taking a look at some history, and particularly one historical figure. And I believe that this individual and the wisdom that he was given actually changed the course of history. I'm talking about Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister of Great Britain during the Second World War. In the 1930s, the world was weary of war and was still suffering from a great economic depression. World War I was still vividly etched in their minds. Just over a decade earlier, the world was gripped in the bloodiest conflict in history. It saw over 16 million soldiers die on the battlefield, Uh, 700,000 in Great Britain. Uh, The total number of civilian and military casualties, according to historians, is over 37 million. As a result, the European nations decided to not interfere and did nothing when Hitler annexed both the German land and Czechoslovakia. Uh, Then in 1939, Hitler attacked Poland. It was known as the Blitzrig. Blitzrig is a German, two German words meaning lightning war. Um, in which SS troops, police squads, and the army itself waged a war primarily against civilians, killing killing tens of thousands of Poles, 95% of which were Christians. Now, the Poles waited for assistance from France and England because France and England, just weeks before, had pledged their support, but no support came, and within 30 days, Poland was lost. Now, this brings us to the man, Winston Churchill. After Poland was attacked, Britain's prime minister at the time was Neville Chamberlain. Neville Chamberlain was also known as the great appeaser. Um, and, but neither, uh, and, they, and Britain at that time declared war against, against Germany. But neither Chamberlain nor England were up for the task of saving Europe from the Nazis. German troops overran Belgium, the Netherlands, Luxembourg, and France in just six weeks, beginning in May of 1940. Chamberlain was out 
And the British Parliament wisely, that's that word, wisely chose Winston Churchill to lead. Now, it's the wisdom of Winston Churchill that I want to talk about. It's Winston Churchill is best remembered for his wisdom, not just his speeches and his military prowess, but his wisdom. It was wisdom that prevailed against Nazi Germany. In the first year of his administration, Britain stood alone against Nazi, against Nazi Germany. But Churchill promised his country and the world that the British people would never surrender. Churchill's main political rival was Lord Halifax, who actually came close to being prime minister. Halifax believed there was nothing heroic about dying for your country, nothing heroic about fighting a war. He supported negotiating a surrender to Hitler. Churchill refused to even consider a negotiated settlement. On May 13, 1940, in his first speech to Parliament after being elected prime minister, this is what Churchill said. I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears and sweat. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggle and suffering. You ask, what is our policy? I can say it is to wage war by sea, land, and air with all might and with all the strength that God can give us to wage war against a monstrous tyranny never suppressed in the dark, lamentable catalog of human crime. That is our policy. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer in one word. It is victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be. For without victory, there is no survival. <coughs> you know, a few months after that speech, Churchill rallied hundreds of, of naval and civilian vessels, and they rescued 338,000 British troops, British and allied troops from Dunkirk. You probably, it's called the miracle of Dunkirk. Maybe you've read the books, uh, maybe you saw the movie. It's, a, it's an amazing feat. Uh, on June 4th, with British troops back on English soil, Churchill spoke again to the people of Great Britain. He said, we shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight in the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We will fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. You know, it was the wisdom of Winston Churchill that actually stood against Hitler. That wisdom, he, he alone rallied the Brits. And when America entered the war in 1941 after Pearl Harbor, Churchill stood alongside Franklin Roosevelt to strengthen America's statesmen, to withstand the external bombardment as well as the internal infighting that always accompanies politics. So now with one great illustration of wisdom that, we brought, that brought victory from the jaws of defeat, let's now take a look at our verse. Our verses in chapter 1 of the book of James, beginning in verse 3. James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, these verses today, along with the trip down memory lane, focusing on Winston Churchill, all has a focus on wisdom. 
Now, many believe that wisdom and knowledge are synonymous. If you go into the dictionary, you'll find that a, a synonym for wisdom is, is knowledge, but they're different. Knowledge, for example, includes these attributes. It includes education, the ability, particularly the ability to recall facts and figures. Uh, they're learned skills. Uh, some of the things we think of regarding knowledge. Uh, gaining knowledge, however, takes time. And it's part of the things we learn. Knowledge can be gained through books, through training. For some, like my daughter, uh, it, it required a lot of critical research because she's a PhD in science. So it took a lot of research, a lot of knowledge. Now, children learn from personal experience. Most of us learn from personal experience. So for example, you can tell your children not to touch hot objects, but how do they learn? They learn by touching hot objects. It's personal experience. Now, our topic today is wisdom. And we should say that wisdom is defined as the state of being wise. Wisdom includes what's called the power of discernment, or in Christian circles, we call it the gift of discernment. As we judge or we discern that which is correct, which is right, or which is true. You know, when I was on staff at Christ Fellowship, a large church down in, down in Palm Beach Gardens, one of our, our teaching pastors, in fact, our primary teaching pastor was Dr. John Maxwell. Now, Dr. John Maxwell is a leadership guru. He wrote over 71 books, over 200 million copies. Can you imagine? 200 million copies of his books have been sold. This is, this is a celebrity in his own right. And he had a saying that I liked. And, and he, said, he said this. He said, he said, with age, you're going to like this, right? With age comes wisdom. Now, we also said, he said, sometimes age comes alone. <laughs> sometimes age comes alone. And, and, and I like that saying. And I found really that when you, talk, when you think about wisdom, um, wisdom is all about perspective. It, it really is. I found the primary difference between knowledge and wisdom is that wisdom includes a healthy dose of perspective. And here's the thing, that with age comes perspective. So you can all say amen to that. The Bible speaks of this and the benefits of being older and wiser. In Paul's letter to Titus, for example, he says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine, they are to teach what is good and so train the young woman to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. That's Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. Paul also tells us that the older men are to teach the young men. I love that. Just like an apprentice program, older men are to teach younger men and to encourage the young men to be self-controlled. Paul says, in everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech. And this is what our text is speaking of today. In James, 1, in James chapter 1, 5 through 8, it speaks about wisdom and the necessary, that it's necessary and it's available to all of us, particularly as we age. Now, the context of our verses today is very important. And we need to consider what the verses just prior to these verses were talking about. So if you were with us last week, right? If we were talking about last week, we talked about trials. That trials will come. And when we undergo trials, we're to consider it joy. 
Now, Paul is giving us the way to be able to consider it joy because we can ask the Lord for wisdom, particularly when it comes to trials. Trials are difficult times. We've all had difficult times. Winston Churchill faced very difficult times, but we can read in the Bible that it was the people of Israel that faced the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Romans. Paul wrote this letter to the scattered Christians. Why were they scattered? Because they were undergoing trials, very difficult trials. And he told them they needed wisdom. Difficult times are to be counted as joy. And, and Paul says that we are to seek wisdom. And the source of that wisdom is God. Now, as I started this message by telling you that wisdom, I believe, is really key. It's second only in the Bible and the illustrations of the New Testament, second only to the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe that God doesn't want us to miss a spiritual lesson. God desires to teach us that in our trials, we're to seek wisdom because God wants to teach us something. James is telling us through the inspiration of the scriptures that during times, it's not the escape that we need or plead, nor even the strength for which we implore. But James tells us to seek wisdom. James says further that anytime, anytime we need wisdom, we are to ask of God. God says that, I love it, he says he's going to give it generously. Now, in the New King James, it says liberally. I don't like that word, okay? I just don't like that word liberally. I, I don't do anything liberally. Um, however, I'll accept it when it comes to the word of God because it means generously, generously. Now, did you notice that in the scripture today, it says that we're to come without reproach? That's an interesting word, isn't it? Without reproach. And it might be difficult to try to understand what reproach means, but you have the opportunity to look at multiple versions of the same scripture. So I took a, took a look at some other scripture renditions, some other translations, and, and I found out that other translations say, uh, without an unkind word, or without keeping score, without fault, without reservation. So this is an important addition to the words of asking. If we're going to ask of God, we have to understand that we're going to do that without reproach, meaning God wants to give us wisdom liberally. There's that word again. And he doesn't keep score. He doesn't mind how many times you, you ask. You can't ask too often. God never tires of your request. You know, there's a number of people that I've heard that say that they don't want to pester God. They don't want to pester God. They don't want to pester God with all of their prayer requests. Well, God is never tired of your prayer requests. God never tires. He wants you to come to him as often. You never bother God. God is never too busy or distracted. Um, actually, there's a, there's a parable that, that discusses this. If you remember, we talked about all of our parables. There was a parable of a persistent widow. Sometimes it's called the, the parable of the unjust judge. I like the former rather than the latter. I like the parable of the persistent widow. And if you remember the story, there was a judge in some unnamed town who had no fear of God or compassion for the people. But the woman, this, this widow, kept on asking him for relief kept on bugging him, constantly was in his face, was in his court. Eventually, the judge says to himself, I don't fear God or care about people. Don't you love that? <laughs> A judge that doesn't fear God or care about people. But this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see with that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. <laughs> the parable now en then ends with these words of Jesus. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. 
And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. God wants you to ask, and God wants to be able to give you the answer. God wants to be able to provide for you exactly what you ask. So we, we know that God wants to give us wisdom. We don't have to worry that we're asking too much or too often, but there is a caveat. Verse 6 in your scripture today says, but let him ask in faith. See, our request for wisdom must be made like any other request. It has to be made in faith without doubting God's ability or his desire to give us wisdom. Now, asking in faith is further defined in the scripture today. It says, without doubting, let not them suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Now, so I like to think of it this way. Faith isn't the absence of doubts. All of us have doubts. It's embracing faith rather than to embrace our doubts. So we embrace the faith. Sometimes we just don't want to go there. Often when we pray, we have doubts, but just don't go there. You know, as you can imagine, I, I get an opportunity to spend a lot of time, some time in hospitals, and, and I visit with people. And sometimes there's other, the family members are there too. Not so much with COVID because we're limited, but especially before COVID, it, would be, it wouldn't be unusual that I'd come into a room and there'd be five, six, seven people there. And often some of the people unfortunately, are talking about the diagnosis. You know, They're talking about the diagnosis. They're talking about the prognosis. And, and I've heard, and I love it when I hear that, sometimes the patient, the resident themselves, the senior, will say, hey, don't go there. Just don't go there. Let's just focus on the faith. Let's focus on the opportunity rather than the prognosis or rather than, rather than fear. Don't give in to fear. Choose faith instead. You know, all of us have the ability to ask in faith, even if our faith is weak. You know, we read in the, the, we read in the Gospel of Mark, for example, <clears throat> there's a man that comes to Jesus because he had a son that was tormented by a demon spirit. And the, man was, the, the son was mute, and he brought him to the disciples to have the disciples cast the mute spirit out. Disciples couldn't do it. So Jesus then shows up, and the man and Jesus have this conversation. It's a very interesting conversation, uh, a dialogue. Jesus finally asks the man about his son, and the father tells Jesus about his son conditions. And then he says this. He says, but if you, meaning Jesus, if you, Jesus, can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus says to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Now, I chose this because of the next verse. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. See, here's, here's the concept of the man's prayer. The son is, is set free, even though he had some unbelief. So he prays in belief, I believe. Then he says, help my unbelief. I love that. I love the honesty of that, of that man. And notice that Jesus was able to deliver his son. Now, there's an other side, and the ending verses gives us the other side of this as well. Because it says, let not that man suppose that he will receive anything, okay, when you have no faith from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. See, if we have no faith, we have no reason to believe that we should be able to even go to God and receive anything from him. Having, having no faith, not believing, but still participating as if you're a Christian, still participating. Maybe you go to church. Maybe you sing a couple songs, but you really have no faith. 
Well, now you're unstable. Bible says that you're double signed. It's kind of like a, a person that's got one foot in the canoe and one foot on the dock. Something's amiss, right? I mean, either get on the dock or get in the canoe. You can't have one foot in the canoe and one foot in the dock. It's just going to be a disaster. And that's what the Bible's saying. If we pretend, we have no reason to believe that we're going to receive anything. We ask and God delivers. So let's finish up with a simple understanding of what the Bible is teaching us today. It says to, to obtain wisdom, particularly during times of trials, and to be able to endure these trials, remember we talked about Winston Churchill, to endure the trials, we ask God in faith. So the Bible tells us today there are three parts of that. It's really quite simple. The first is the ask. And it's a, and it's a simple ask. It, it's not a religious ask. It isn't say, fast for 40 days and then you can ask. Uh, go to the church, okay? Uh, uh, don't eat meat or, and for, for a week and, 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 and say a bunch of prayers and then you can ask. No, no, no. Just, just ask. There's no mode assigned to this. It doesn't have to be eyes closed, hands on kneel, kneeling down, hands clenched. It's just, just ask. Ask God because God is always there and God wants to hear your prayer. There's nothing religious about it at all. Just ask. You don't have to earn this right, by the way. You have a right to ask God. Secondly, we ask God. You see, who we ask is all important. All important. It, it, you know, I don't mind it when people come to me and they say, Pastor Ken, and in fact, I, I feel a privilege. They say, can you pray for me? And that's a privilege. Anytime somebody comes to you to say, can you pray for me? That's a, that's a privilege. You get to pray for them. I told you, for those of you that were in my class on Wednesday, I said one of the things we do each year, my wife and I, is we have a word that we kind of focus on. We pray about that word. And my word this year that the Lord, I believe, gave me was intercede, which is wonderful. Because that's what pastors try to do for their flock, is we intercede. Intercede, by, by definition, is before God on behalf of others. So that's fine. But here's the problem, is that many people don't understand that they can go directly to God. You see, if you know Jesus Christ, you know God. You can come to him directly. You don't need to go through a priest. You don't have to go through a, a pastor. You don't have to go through anybody at all. No mediator. You can go directly to God. Not some saint or departed one. We don't consult mediums. We don't look at our stars, our, 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 our horoscope. Uh, we go directly to God. But when we go to God, we approach him in, in faith. And the reason we go in faith is because we know Jesus. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 3 that in Christ we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. It's, it's kind of like going to your, your father. You know, your father when he was alive. And just being able to go right to your dad and say, Dad, I need something. You don't have to kind of hem around the corners or hope that you have an appointment or hope that you get an audience with your father. No, it's, it's your dad. You just go into your dad and you ask him whatever you want to ask in any way you want to ask. That's how we're supposed to go. So secondly, we ask God. Now the third part is we ask God in faith, without doubting. Faith is essential in approaching God. In Hebrews uh, chapter 11, it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and get this, and he's a rewarder of those who seek him. You know, sometimes we pray, and we wonder whether God actually has heard us, right? We wonder if God has heard us. And then we wait for an answer, and it seems like we continue to wait. So what do we do? Well, 
we pray again. We pray again, and then we listen, because God often speaks in different ways. Sometimes God will speak to you through a sermon. Sometimes God will speak to you through a song. Sometimes God will speak to you through the scriptures, or through a friend, or through a relative, or through somebody else's prayer. But God wants to speak to you. God wants to be able to give you wisdom. Listen for God to speak to you. Keep the faith. Believe and ask in faith. And if necessary, ask again. Let's pray. So Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for who you are. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.